We continue our theme this year of the light of life from John chapter 8 verse 12 as we think about uh, how not just Jesus being the light, but how we are the conduits of the light and how his light shines in us. I'm very excited as we begin some of the projects that are going to uh, begin here. We're going to be sharing some of those pictures here in the weeks to come of your works, uh, not because you've done those things uh, for any merit of yourself, but to let the light and the love of Christ shine within you. On Sunday mornings, we are in a series called Habit. And what we're doing in this series is looking at the things, the little things, that will make a big difference in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know about you, uh, usually this time of year is the time when your habits are tested. You know, you got all excited in January, make some New Year's resolutions, going to make some changes. But by now, as we're into February, the question of whether or not those habits have been solidified is being shown true. Uh, I, you know, began a New Year's resolution to get healthier, and, and so I signed up for the gym, and so far I've done really well. I've paid all my dues on time. Uh, but you see, the next part of that is the more important part. It's the commitment. It's the going. It's the exercising. It's the following through. And so in this series, what we're looking at are the things that we can do in our relationship with God that will help our light shine brighter and our walk be more authentic. Last week, we talked about holiness, and we said that holiness begins with God. Usually we start the other way, and we try to think that, well, it's about what I do. If I do enough good things, and the scripture says, of course, that compared with the holiness of God, our righteousness is but filthy rags. And so we have to start with him. And then once we have holiness, which is given to us, as Dennis talked about this morning, given to us as a measure of grace through Jesus Christ, then that holiness that we can begin to let shine through our lives begins to affect our lives. Once in Christ, his spirit dwells within us and it really begins to impact the world and the people around us. Today is the second one. If you haven't figured it out, this is an acronym. And so we're going to talk about accountability. Um, admittedly, that makes a lot of people real nervous. Accountability is one of those loaded words. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And unfortunately, especially in churches of Christ, we have a bit of history with that word, accountability. And there seem to be two extremes with the word and the reason that people get nervous around the idea of accountability is because there were several years in our family history as a church where there was a group that abused the idea of accountability. Took what the scripture said and made it into something that it wasn't. And so our response generally was to say, well, here accountability has been abused. And so what we're going to do is come all the way over here to this side and avoid it entirely. Don't want to bring it up, don't want to talk about it, don't need it. Well, unfortunately, that's not a healthy extreme either. So today, let's try to get a healthy, balanced, and biblical approach to what accountability means and what accountability looks like. First, accountability starts with the upward. What I mean is that uh, in our lives, in our world Often the adage is heard, well, just listen to your heart. Just trust your heart. Just do what sounds right in your heart. 
The scripture warns against this kind of thinking. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, if you're following along. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. But then it goes beyond that. It says, Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? The answer is in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his works, the fruit of his deeds. The heart, if you think about godliness and godlessness, the heart of godlessness is this idea that I answer to no one but myself. A godly person fears the Lord. They understand that, that they ultimately someday will have to answer to God himself. But someone who has no faith or someone who does not believe in the Lord, uh, they do not believe that they have any authority whatsoever. I've always found that strange, that if they truly believe that, why do they do some of the things that they do? For example, uh, I think it, this even happened here in Wichita. There was a group of atheists that put up billboards. Does that strike anyone as odd? That if there is no authority, if there is no meaning, if there is no truth, but we should put up a billboard to let everyone know about that. Does that make sense? Why do there are actually atheist churches? I've read about these. This is so unusual. Why? What is the purpose? What is the point? How does that work in children's training hour? No one loves the little children. <laughs> what is that? How does that work? I have no idea. See, godless people have this authority problem. That they, they say, ultimately, when it comes down to it, at the end of my life, I have to answer to no one. Now, you can believe that, but in my opinion, there are no such thing. There is no such thing as a permanent atheist. But if the heart fears God. If the heart believes that you are made in God's image, that you're created and knit together in your mother's womb by him and for his purpose, and that he is working in your life and throughout the lives of all people, you can identify with the psalmist. In Psalm 139, he wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts You see, the psalmist realized that ultimately it was upwardly that he had to look as the basis of accountability for his whole life. We turn to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. He writes these words. No creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We understand that fundamentally uh, we are dead a lot longer than we're alive. And that the moment we transition, the moment that our heart stops, the moment that we exhale our last breath, we believe that we will be held to account. That we will have to answer for our lives, how we use them and in what way and for what purpose. Well, if you are of that Uh, mindset, and I believe most of you are, then we need to go to the second level of accountability. And that is that accountability reflects inward. 
as we humble ourselves to God, it should cause us, as we understand, God's holiness and God's righteousness and God's purity, that someday we will stand before our Maker, it should cause deep humility inwardly and reflection upon what we've done and how we have are using the talents and the time that God has given us. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this about how our words have an impact. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but... I do know it scares the living daylights out of me that if Jesus, what Jesus said is true, that one day I'll have to account for every single word that has crossed my lips. And thinking even beyond that, Jesus said that the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, that I'll have to account for every single thought that's ever crossed my heart. Accountability should cause us to reflect in how we treat other people. First John chapter four Verse 20, the apostle of love says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Look at verse 21. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. When we see God as the authority, it should cause us to introspectively look at our lives and our hearts about how we speak, how we treat other people, the things that we allow in. We talked about last week about guarding our heart. The truth is most of us are more than ready to give an account of everyone else before God. But the scripture says there's those people we don't need to worry about, but there's only one. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. On judgment day, whenever that day comes, what someone else said will not matter. On judgment day, what someone else did will not matter. On judgment day, what was taught at a church will not matter. On judgment day, what your family members did will not matter. On judgment day, what your friends were doing will not matter. But on judgment day, what will matter is the word of God and the word of God alone. His judgments are righteous and true. So pay attention to what God has said, because for what everyone else says matters very little. The good news is that you don't have to do this alone. And that's what we want to talk mostly about this morning. Unfortunately, when we go between these extremes of abuse of accountability and complete avoidance of accountability, what happens when we sit here is that we have pews full of people who struggle in silence because they're too embarrassed They're too ashamed to seek help, to ask for help. They don't feel like church is a place where they will be helped. 
Well, if you're here this morning and you're struggling in silence, I want to tell you as graciously as I can that Northside is not a perfect church, but we are committed to helping people. We believe that all of us have fallen short and all of us need the grace of God. And we want to be a people who, well, we think of church like a hospital. That everyone who comes to the hospital is either hurting or helping. The doctors and the nurses, they're coming in and and they're not perfect, but they're there to help. And the the other people who come who are not doctors and nurses and medical staff, uh, they're there because they are hurting. And we're working together. And the goal is that we want to help one another back to him. So may we help one another But we cannot do that by ourselves. Unfortunately, too often we try to do these things by ourselves. And God never intended you to journey alone. You were not conceived by yourself. You were not born by yourself. You were not raised by yourself. You did not learn anything you've learned by yourself. You needed teachers to teach you and parents to raise you and leaders to guide you and mentors to counsel you. And the same is exactly true in your walk with Christ. You need other people to help you along the way. You need someone who's going to show you what it means to be like Christ. Someone who's going to tell you what God's word says. Someone who's going to pray with you and guide you and love you. Someone who's going to tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. I hope you have that someone in your walk, and if you don't, you need to find some people like that. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The wise man wrote this about being alone. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If another, if one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We should not come to church if we're hurting or struggling and just sit there by ourselves and say, I can do it. I don't need any help. Now, church is about people working together to lift each other up toward the same goal, toward the same purpose. And the scripture says, pity the man who has no one to help him up. You remember in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, the story of God creating man. And he said in chapter 2, verse 18, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Did you think about that, that you are designed to not work best by yourself? I can think back to my bachelor years. And I know that's true. Uh, When I first graduated from college, I went and took a job in Phoenix, Arizona. I had a one-bedroom apartment. I was living by myself. Uh, Let me tell you how that apartment was decorated. I had a futon in the living room. I had an alarm clock. And I had a dartboard. And that was how I lived. That was all I needed. That really wasn't all I needed. Several months later, my sweet bride uh, came into our apartment and said, this will not do. This is not good. You need to 
bring your standard of living up a little bit. And she's helped me. And, and that's a very simple example. But you should have a spouse who makes you better. You should have a spouse who improves you. And I'm, if you're sitting here as a single person this morning, I don't say that to judge you. I'm saying you need, if it's not a spouse, you need friendships. You need relationships. You need other people who make you better, who improve your lot in life. And God said, it never happens by yourself. It's one of the blessings of having a church family. Sometimes God uses the voice of someone very familiar in our lives. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. There will be times, as I said, if we're hurting, if we're struggling, when you're going to really need somebody who's going to tell you what you need to hear, will not tell you what you want to hear. You need a Nathan. David, of course, was king. He could have had anything he wanted, and he did. He had another man's wife by the name of Bathsheba. And instead of owning up to it, he tried to cover it up. That cover-up led to an innocent man's murder. Now, Second Samuel chapter 11 tells that story, but it ends uh, with accountability. Verse 27 says very simply, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Sometimes we do things that displease God and we believe we've gotten away with them. We believe that no one's found out and we believe that we have enough uh, gumption that we can just go on living our lives. But remember that God notices even the sparrows when they fall from the ground. And so, because what David had done had displeased God, he sent a man into his life. And the story of that man is found in chapter 12. Nathan the prophet. And the scripture reads this way. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he had brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel, of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a man, a traveler, to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5 says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As long as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. Nathan said, You are the man. I hope you have a Nathan in your life. I hope you have the voice of God that comes to you in a familiar voice that sits down to you and says, I'm here to cut you. I'm here to cut you because I want to heal you. God sent a man to sharpen his beloved David. And it cut him cut him so that he might heal him and save him. My question to you this morning is, 
Who has God put in your life to sharpen you? Who has God put in your life that has cut you? And are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of God? I get all teary because of the story I'm about to tell. It was Chick-fil-A. <laughs> While I love going there, the reason I had gone there was not a good one. I had to be a Nathan. I had to sit down with a dear teenage girl uh, who was caught in the enemy's hands. And I was watching her slowly be pulled away. And I had to be the man to tell her things she didn't want to hear. And it was very hard. It's not easy to be a Nathan. I do this from here. But if you've ever had to be a Nathan, to sit across from the table from someone and beg them to stop their sinning, plead with them to see what the enemy was doing in their life, and to behold and ask them if they were ready to bear the weight of the consequences of what they were about to do, and to watch them heartbreakingly turn away from the Lord. It's not fun to be a Nathan. But I pray to God that you will be if God calls you. And I also pray that if you are a David, and someone has been brought into your life to tell you things that you do not want to hear, and you condemn your very self by your own words. I will pray that you will. I pray that you will learn to listen. I pray that you'll prayerfully seek accountability. That you'll listen to the voices that God has put in your life. Because he puts them there for a reason. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, Proverbs 27 says. But an enemy multiplies kisses. I hope you have some true friends in your life that will tell you the hard things and love you just the same. Who won't give up on you when you're ready to give up on yourself. And this morning, if you are in that position and you don't feel like you have a Nathan, I'm going to ask you to seek one from our elders. Our elders pray for you and they want to shepherd you and they want to help you. And so I pray that you can consider what kind of people are in your life and how you're being helped. I pray that you'll seek that out. You need someone who can gently say four special words. What is the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? Don't be an idiot. Changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. A 
I want to ask you if you have people in your life who will lovingly say, you're being an idiot, which is the message version of what Nathan said to David. What is it? Who are the people who are coming to you and telling you when you're being ungodly, when you're doing the things that displease the Lord, and who are willing, by the way, to love you? What kind of people do you seek out? See, this is a problem, I think, where with the abuse of accountability. The, the abusive end of accountability said this. We need accountability. So I'm going to be accountable. And Brady, just tell me every single sin you've committed. I've got a lot of time. See, it doesn't work like that. Accountability needs to be organic in nature. It needs to flow from a relationship. You need to have the right to speak into someone's life. You need to have walked with them a little while. If you're looking for someone who will hold you accountable, look for a person of integrity. Look for a person who will be consistent day in and day out. Be the same kind of person through and through. Number two, you need a person of spiritual maturity, which is what James read from Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You need people in your life who are willing to speak the truth. And even though it's difficult, they'll say it anyway because they love you. Because they want what's best for you. Because they desire to see you be better than you are. And finally, you need to seek people of prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. At Northside, we have lots of good ways that we can interact with each other's lives. Most, some of you did that about an hour ago when you met with your adult Bible class. I hope that you have opportunities to build relationships and have deeper conversations. But if it doesn't work in adult Bible classes, maybe it will work in small groups where you meet regularly to talk about the stuff of life and to discuss the scriptures and to share your lives together. Or maybe... It's in Celebrate Recovery. And they're meeting every week and they're being honest about their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups. Or maybe it's being a part of the Titus 2 group for some of our women and getting some counsel from older women who will love you enough to tell you what needs to be said. Well, there are lots of opportunities, but it's up to you to seek those people out. I hope you'll fill your lives full of the Nathans, the people who will tell you God's truth and give you God's best no matter what. Ultimately, finally, one day we will all have a final accountability. And it's read about and it's we can read about it in Revelation chapter 10. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books and according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them. 
And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. We have to be ready to give an account. But the key thing there is whether or not your name's in the book of life. And that is not depending any on what you do, but all about what he did. If you are in Christ, your name is written in the book of life. And yes, you will have to account for your life. But the beautiful thing is that because he paid the price, your debt can be paid. Um, so this morning, I want to invite you to come to Christ if you're not in Christ. Because you're not ready for the judgment if you are not in Christ. And if you are struggling, if you are struggling in any sort of way and you need some accountability, or you just need some people to pray with you, People who can see a person stumble and they do not want to just let you stay there by yourself, but they want to help you. We want to help you. If we can in any way, please come forward this morning and we'll be glad to as together we stand and sing.